0: Welcome to those who are joining. You're listening to the 28th episode of Fintech Cafe. If you like to listen to any of our previous shows, it's on fintechcafe.org. You can also check out any of the major podcasting platforms for previous recordings. So with that, today's call is recorded. Today, we're joined by the founder of Atomic Financial and the head of markets at Atomic Financial, Lindsay and Jordan. And... uh, just a couple of housekeeping items the format is as following the call will be one hour long the first 30 minutes are moderated so Manisha and I will direct our questions to Jordan and Lindsay and in the second half an hour you can then come up on stage and ask questions if you're not able to come on stage you can also send us the questions and we can read them on your behalf so you can um, do that either if you have my number text me Or you can use the back channel number uh, back channel and uh, you can send us a message. So there's an icon like an airplane. If you click on that, you can and send us a message that way. So the call is recorded. And if you have any objections, please drop now. And then lastly, disclaimer, an important one, and that is Manisha and I, we have full-time jobs within the the financial services, and our employers are not associated with this show. We're also not endorsing any products. The intention for this call and for this community is simply to cultivate thought leadership within financial technology. So with that, let's get started. I'll give my introduction. My name is Ambika Sharma, and uh, Manisha and I have been doing this for about six months. I'm a product manager. I work for a big bank, and but love having um, a pulse on the industry. So over to you, Manisha, for your introduction.
1: Thanks, Ambika. Hello once again. Manisha Chakrapani. I work in the financial services space as well, product management and consumer deposits. With that, I'll pass the baton. Uh, Jordan?
2: Yeah, my name is Jordan Wright. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Atomic Financial.
3: Great, thank you. Lindsay? Yeah, hi. I'm head of markets at Atomic. We're We're building out payroll connectivity and working with some of the largest neobanks. I'm really excited that you guys invited us to join today's FinTech
0: Cafe. Thank you. Before we get started with our questions, actually, Lindsay, you spoke at Money 2020 last week, right? I did, yeah, with one of our customers, Propel, building out in the EBT space. Well, could we get like a quick 60 second uh, summary of what your talk was about?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So broadly, it was about banking the unbanked with payroll APIs, and we offered the opportunity to have Propel come up and talk about the ways in which one of our neobanks is working with us to empower consumers that are underbanked in this country today and that, that align with our mission. We also had our advisory board member, Susan Ehrlich, who was previously the CEO of Ernest when it was acquired by Navient, and she's an advocate in the student debt repayment space. And then it was curated by Nick from Credit Suisse, who has been a, a very early supporter, his entire team, the FinTech payments team over there. And ultimately, it was a wonderful opportunity to get to hear how people are thinking about integrating with payroll connectivity and learn about new use cases and Jordan and Scott, our co-founders, were both there. Our CRO Jeff, Francesca, our head, our head of customer success, it was a really wonderful opportunity to get the team together and to just be in, you know, back together in person. I think it was the largest conference that I've attended this year. I don't know about you all, but yeah, overall <laughs>
0: wonderful. Yeah and actually you did a great job. I did get to attend yours. I'm a huge fan of Susan and then I got to meet you as a result of that call. So and then also Jordan and then he agreed to come on our show. So it was a great uh, synergy there. I have to tell you Jordan and Lindsay, I love swags and you guys had the best swag cuz you had an extra bag so I didn't have to go buy a bag to carry all my swag in. <laughs> so that you was, had the best.
3: That swag. was my goal. That was my goal. I so said <laughs> they're all going to get the swag. Then our swag bag will be the swag that is walking around the lobby and if anybody was here and didn't get one and wants one, please reach out to me after
0: this, we've got extra. Oh, lovely, you are the first guest who's handing out slags, done. <laughs> so Manisha, over to you for the questions, kick us off.
1: All right, with that high start, uh, uh, question Jordan for you, You know, some people are born with an entrepreneurial bug and others discover it. In your case, it sounds like you were born with it. And then also this is your second startup could you talk to us about your journey co-founding Atomic Financial?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks for the question. So, yeah, I would say both my co-founder Scott and I uh, have were kind of born with the bug. You know, I think when I was like thirteen, we built uh, Hogwarts Castle in my parents' barn. And charged our neighborhood kids admission and, and sold birdie bots of flavored beans and tied broomsticks to rafters and all sorts of things that wouldn't pass a compliance test of any kind. But that's kind of been doing that since I was a small child wanting to start things. And with Atomic, we saw an opportunity to be able to help the most vulnerable people in society by providing payroll connectivity. And for us, you think about how many loans happen in a year where somebody doesn't have a good credit score or doesn't have history. We think about all these refugees coming over from Afghanistan right now as an example. Those people are going to need to get loans based on cash flow and based on income information. And so we thought this was the next frontier for especially the more vulnerable people in our society, but also something that everyone would be able to take advantage of if we could unlock payroll to be able to allow these consumers to provide their information in a verified way. So as an example, one of the things we do is we allow consumers to update the direct deposit. We allow them to verify employment and income verification uh, information. We allow them to make payments directly out of their paycheck. We do some W four withholding things that's pretty cool that we might be able to get into later. But the, you know, starting it it was fascinating because our last company that we started, you know, we pivoted multiple times coming into it. It was really interesting learning experience for it, and upselling selling it to Q two is it, it was an awesome experience for us as founders. But this time we feel like we get to take all the lessons learned there and be able to apply them and make less mistakes than last time, which has been great.
1: Could you share a couple of those?
2: Yeah, happy to share a few. So one of the things that we've put a tremendous focus on is culture in starting our organization. Some people call it the C word for, you know, excluding people. And, And actually, we view it as a way to make In our culture document, we say we want to allow, we want people to be empowered to do the best work of their lives here. Culture was not something we gave as much thought to in our first startup, but I actually just ran the numbers on this. A year ago today, we had 16 employees in our company. We now have 75. And scaling and keeping a good cultural balance across your organization, it's really important. And when people talk to me, for example, about diversity and inclusion, I think it's important because we have a societal uh, need to, and we should strive for that. But it's also important because we want to be able to hire the best people. We want to be able to attract the best talent, whoever they are. And if we don't have the right people in our organization, we won't be able to attract that any a person from any background to be able to come and work here and feel like they belong here. And so we fo- focused a lot on building a culture of belonging this time around. And I'm building a, a place where people felt like uh, they could be themselves at work, but also do the best work of their lives. I would say that's one of the first things. I would say a second thing that my co-founder Scott and I are very customer centric. If anything, we're more customer centric this time around. We absolutely love spending time with our customers I'm involved in every customer Slack channel. My co-founder involved in every customer Slack channel. It's pretty common for us to jump in and, and provide a response to a customer on a need or a thing that they're facing. And we try to stay as close to our customers as we possibly can. Hopefully, those are two helpful things.
1: Yeah, definitely sounds like high-touch high service there. That's fantastic. So speaking of your co-founder, Jordan, how did you meet him, uh, meet Scott, and what got you guys uh, going?
2: Yeah, so Scott and I met while we were both in college. Our wives were attending the same classes. We were, we were at the same university, or we were attending two universities in the same town, and we lived on the same when We first got together. I actually took him fishing and lost him on a fishing trip, and we found each other like four hours later in the middle of the wilderness, which is really great, but I thought he would hate me forever. He did not, and... I actually enjoyed the experience for some weird reason. We decided to go do that kind of stuff again. And then we just started hanging out and started figuring out ways we might be able to work together. When I got together, we wrote down a bunch of business ideas, things we wanted to go and do, and eventually started executing on one of them. So, and, and to be honest, when I started this company, I called Scott and I just said, I'm not starting a company if it's not with you again, because I just loved working with you last time. And he said, sweet, let's go.
1: So the new form of the trust test is to lose someone out there in the wild (laughs) and find them.
2: That's right. In Utah, that's what we do. I'm not sure what you do. Not in New York. Just maybe see if they can survive going down the subway. But yeah, that's right. Fantastic.
1: I'm going to pivot to Lindsay. I would love to hear your story to Atomic, if you can share with us.
3: Yeah. So prior to Atomic, I was the senior fintech intelligence analyst at CB Insights, where I built and scaled some fintech research related to fintech trends to watch. Amazon's playbook and financial services, wealth tech, reg tech, lending—all of the, the beautiful market maps that you've seen related to niches within fintech. When I got there in 2016, it was really a—it was just fintech and insurance. And prior to that, I had been an internal auditor at DTCC, so leveraged some of my knowledge there to build out cap markets, tech, reg tech categories that made sense. And at the top of 2020, I was building out the fintech trends to watch for the year. It was like a seminal piece of research that I wrote related to things that I thought would happen given, you know, funding trends data and would set the stage for the year. And one of the things I had wanted to do was rebundle the paycheck. Something I had done in 2019 was identify companies that were going point by point and unbundling components, either like net gross, they were using data in a more, you know, fundamental way to help consumers get ahead of things like, you know, falling behind on their, on their payments and being able to access alternative underwriting data and when i talked to jordan initially he told me he wasn't really building anything i was sourcing companies and founders that were potentially in the market that had exited a business two to three years previously and jordan and scott sort of fit that bill with unbill and he sort of gave me the slip and said no no i'm not doing anything and we started just getting to know each other and offered me the opportunity to join and candidly i would said no and that was i I'm very open about this. i say it was one of the worst decisions of my life, but having the opportunity and having a persistent founder like Jordan who sees talent and he's very dedicated to building it out, he was persistent. And then on the last try, he was like, all right, this is the last time I'm going to ask you. You're going to join the company or not? And so I was all in. I came on board last November and I'm about to have my one year anniversary. So it's been a wonderful opportunity to not only have seen some of you know what was going on adjacently in FinTech to now be a part of a FinTech company, so that's the short and sweet, simple answer.
1: I would love to hear someday what Jordan pitched to you to win you over. But that's fantastic. I mean, this is, I think, our first experience of having, you know, two people on the panel talking about atomic. So lovely to get both perspectives. Back to Jordan, we heard on one of the other podcasts, Jordan, that you had shared a story of your with your mentor. We'd love to hear if you don't mind sharing with this audience.
4: Yeah.
2: Manisha, I need to ask you because I've shared a few stories about my first. <laughs> Can you give me a little bit more help there?
1: I believe it was the mentor who advised you on giving back, right? Always, and I think almost termed the fiduciary mentor. I don't think a name was named.
2: Oh, got it. Great. Yeah, I've had I've had many experiences where, you know, honestly, I was asked recently in a podcast who the most influential person mentor of my life was, and. My instant thought that came to my my mind is my mom. And without a doubt, you know, as a founder, you have opportunities. I, I feel like I can't. I came, I don't know how I came into the world, but I know that coming out of my home, my mom instilled in me a tremendous amount of confidence in who I was. She And I could tell that she loved who I was, just the way I was. And that was really important. As far as mentors asking us to give back, one of them actually shared the stage with us at money 2020. I remember talking to Jimmy Chen uh, about what he was building at Propel. And as I heard from him, his experience in starting a company that was focused on helping the most vulnerable people in society, and he probably words it differently, but that's how I worded here at Atomic. I remember talking through some of the problems he was looking to solve and, and thinking about what we're building at Atomic, we have the ability to be able to help people in ways that So few have the opportunity to do. In fact, we've had probably seven or eight acquisition offers since we started this company. And I remember just looking my co-founder in the eyes and like, what are you going to do if we sell this company? You just gave away your platform for creating change in the world. And I think that's a really important aspect of the role that we all have in giving back in society. We've been running some numbers this week. Millions of people came into our system this year to be able to use Atomic and to be able to get get better rates on, on loans, to be able to get... In, in many cases, they're t- they're signing up for payments directly out of their paycheck so that they can get a much lower interest rate and decrease their cost of funds. We have customers now that are able to change their, their withholding information, W-4 withholding information, so they can get better cash flow throughout the year. So when a hiccup comes up financially, they don't have to take out a high interest rate loan, right? All these things we think we can help stabilize the users' financial life and then hopefully help them build wealth over time.
0: Wow, that was quite a lot. Thank you. I think we heard about this fiduciary mentor of yours who actually encouraged you to quit his company and go build your own company and he invested in you. So this is I true. Think that was
2: sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And I will share that one briefly. So I remember you know, I had started his com- I had started at his company as an employee in my career. I spent five years there through an acquisition. And I remember going into his office and sitting down with him and telling him, you know, I really wanted to start a company. I hear some of the things the ideas I have. And he sat down with me on a whiteboard and we went over all of the things that I could gain, all the opportunities I would have at the public traded company I was working at the time. And then I remember he eventually just looked at me and was just like, Jordan, yeah, now is the time for you to go start a company and go enjoy. And honestly, that same person I have spoken with at almost every juncture of my career, I call that person and I say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And he oftentimes is so perspicacious in his feedback and insight that he gives to me. And everybody needs, I hope everybody has, but needs a person like that, that they can talk to, sift through their ideas that won't tell them, here's all the things you have to do in your life, but but giving you some confidence boost and saying, yeah, you have a good thing here, but that's really what you were born to do.
0: Well, congratulations on cultivating that relationship because it's very difficult to find. So kudos to you. Thank you. So I'll switch over now to like use cases, business use cases, and also just learning more about the product you've built. So first off, tell us why payroll APIs? Why did you choose this space as opposed to other ways of helping?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to address this. Lindsay, you feel free to jump in here any moment when you feel like there's something I miss or want something want to add something. If you look at what's been done in like open banking space, you know, we are huge we're immensely grateful for the work done by companies like Finicity, MX, and, and and Plaid, and all these other companies that have paved the way for better access for consumers to their finance, finances, right? As As you look at what the next wave looks like for consumers to be able to get better access, controlling where their paycheck goes is a critical part of that access, but also being able to provide verified information about who they are from an employment perspective to potential lenders to other sorts of people is also critical and so i'll talk about a few different types of solutions we we have we empower at a time we're fortunate to be able to count 80 90 of the ne of the neobanks in the united states especially the top 30 as our clients so as you think about folks like chime or or robin hood or or other other sorts of people that fit that category, you know, Dave, we recently came out with an announcement with them, Coinbase, Moneylion, Earnin, like all these sorts of groups, these are clients of ours. And the use case that we initially set up, we set up two, to be able to verify income, but also be able to move direct deposit. And if you think about the ability for a consumer to change their relationship based on the user, the customer experience they're getting... That's critical to them. If they're ch- getting charged high fees, we want them to be able to move to a relationship where they're not going to get charged those high fees. If they uh, haven't had – if we're not getting the product offering they need from the customer they're at or from the bank they're at or whoever it is, credit union, we need them to be able to move their relationship. And moving their direct deposit is one of the most important aspects of that relationship, right? So that's one use case that we empower is to be able to update direct deposit. Another use case that we that we give people to be able to solve for is the ability to make payments out of their paycheck. So whether it's buy now, pay later in some circumstances, auto loans in other circumstances, uh, mortgage even or rent payments, we allow people to set up payments directly from their paycheck. This reduces the risk of default, but it actually gets a lot closer to what so many people have talked about for so long, like, you know, the Google Maps of finances, right? Because we can start actually making things happen directly at the paycheck level sending out their finances and the money that arrives in their bank account is more spendable money, gives them the opportunity to be able to get a better sense of their finances and take better care of themselves financially. Another product that we're actually, we just rolled out recently, there'll be a larger announcement about it shortly, is our W4 withholding product. If you think about especially the most vulnerable people in our society, but all of us actually, when we set up W4 for the employer we now work for, you know, Very few of us actually understood the questions we were asked. You know, you get asked questions about whether or not you're married filing jointly, you know, dependents, all that sort of stuff. Once you set up those questions, it determines how much money will be taken out for your taxes. 75% of Americans get a return on their taxes every year, and the average return size is north of $2,500. The problem is, especially for the demographic we want to help, they might have $1,500 that's accrued in August of a year and have a car emergency and not being able to cover a $200 expense and take out a high interest loan to be able to cover that. We can come along and update their withholdings so that they can dip into their withholdings by getting more back per paycheck temporarily and then adjust them after the fact. Or we can just get them to better cash flow throughout the year so that they can have a little bit of a cushion on it at the end of the year, but also avoid high interest debt situations. We have another client that said that 35% of their customers go into credit card debt for Christmas. And they're saying, Couldn't we, wouldn't it be amazing if we could come out on November 1st and say, we'll get you $500 before Christmas so that you don't go into debt for Christmas. Those are the sorts of things we're really excited about that we can do with this new product that again, we launched very recently. Lindsay, what would you add to that?
3: I would just say broadly from the use case perspective, like we would believe that rebuilding the financial infrastructure will be the genesis of the next evolution in fintech, similar to how we saw the first APIs come out and enable new use cases across fintech. Um, within the U.S. that's been a little bit hamstrung by regulation. And then within open banking in Europe, you saw you know, just incredible new products being built just because of the ease of access to that data. By making that easier, we believe that we're going to start to see really cool stuff. And that was sort of one of the things I was betting on when I joined here. Because yes, I am a part of a company that's building payroll connectivity, but we get to see some of the coolest stuff, like that W4 product that comes out of working with you know, the most innovative fintech companies that want to help consumers. And there's still a lot of work to be done. And it's 2021. It's incredible that we still have paper forms to update a direct deposit, but here we are. So I'm just excited to see what people are going to pull from us and, and build off of the infrastructure. Agreed.
0: So you you both gave us a lot there and we have seven minutes left in the moderated session, and then we'll have Sorry to move to that. the Q&A. No, 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 that's great. The wealth of resource they both of you are. So I'm trying to figure out which appropriate question to ask next in the six minutes left. So I think an important one is to just level set for the audience. And that is maybe there's some people here actually who are not from the technology side of the house. So could you explain what does it mean to have a product solution that is an API? So in like a layman's term, if I were, let's say, working for a credit union, how do I interact with your product solution?
2: Yeah, so our product pulls together many different APIs. And we make it available via an SDK that can be installed in an app of some kind, right? You can almost think about it like going to the app store and saying, I want to download the Atomic app. And the Atomic app is going to go communicate with 400 different, you know, systems, payroll systems, so that we can allow consumers to be able to authenticate into that payroll system, verify information about themselves. And so you know, our SDK, it's pretty simple to to work with. We have people that get it up and running in four hours, Right. And and we're also working on partnerships with the largest providers of financial services solutions in the United States. So a lot of them will be able to get that with their their financial services provider as an SDK that plugs in pretty simply. Hopefully that's a decent, decent layman's term explanation of it.
0: Yes, it is. But let's add like a real-time use case. So I'm going to throw a use case as uh, you. You talked about direct deposits. So suppose I open a checking account with SoFi digitally. And part of the criteria for me, for me to not have any fees is that I must set up direct deposit of, let's say, $200 or more. So in the process I go through is filling out a PDF, working through my HR team to set up direct deposit. But I do this from my employer's side. With your solution, Atomic Financial, how do I as a consumer interact? How will you make that use case easier for me?
2: Yeah, so if you if you were in SoFi and you're inside of their money their money product, right? You would you as part of the onboarding, you would be prompted to say, do you want to move over your direct deposit to this account that was just created? And they'd say yes. Now they see us a, a view where they can search for their employer or for their payroll provider. They find their employer or payroll provider on the list. We then say, okay, this payroll provider this employer, excuse me, uses ADP or this employer uses Gusto. Enter your credentials to authenticate there. In some cases, we can do it without credentials to be able to help the consumer through password reset, right? But we we get through that flow. SoFi would hand us the account routing number for the account they want to move over, and then we would update that inside of Gusto or ADP or whoever, whichever payroll system it is on behalf of the consumer.
0: Got it. Thank you. Uh, Lindsay, anything that you would like to add to that?
3: To the point of using SoFi as your as your primary. Yeah, just bid. that use yeah. case.
0: Yeah. And yeah, just want to make sure I'm also including you in the dialogue.
3: Out. Oh, no, don't. I mean, Jordan covered it. He nailed it. And okay. we're really excited to just hear from the, from the audience. But I think to your point, it's accelerating payday for consumers, right? One of the things that the value propositions of signing up with a neobank and attaching your direct deposit is getting your paycheck two days in advance, and most neobanks, not all of them, offer it because it's a table stakes feature now. But by having streamlined that process, we can enable that consumer to get paid faster.
0: Lovely. And the second use case in the four minutes that I'll bring up is, let's say I am AT&T and I provide, so as, uh, I provide discounted services to, let's say, all Clubhouse employees. They get 50% discount on their AT&T pa- package. But I must confirm that that individual is still employed, let's say, six months later. So the use case here is employer verification. Earlier, we talked about direct deposit. So income verification. Now, what about employer verification? How does that use case? Well, do you have a solution for that use case?
2: Yes, we do have a solution for this use case. And we actually have the ability to go in and monitor these accounts over time as well. Right, So you might have somebody that, you I mean, let's think of a mortgage use case as well, right? where I have to verify income and employment information, and then 45 days later, it has to be verified again right before closing. In that situation, we can verify the information that sits inside the employment system. We could say, yes, they're currently marked as employed. They received a paycheck last week. Like That sort of information, we can verify. There are some nuances in edge cases here, right? Like I could get fired today, and the HR person could take care of it tonight night and there's an edge case there where maybe there's a period window of time where they haven't flagged it in the system but in general i think it's a very good cue for people to go off of when it comes to understanding employment
0: got it thank you and then i guess the last one that i'll ask is jordan in your introduction you mentioned that one of the principles that you wanted to employ as you set up the second startup is be customer-centric. And then you also said that you have, let's say, the top 30 startups that you're working with, fintechs. How do you remain customer-centric? I understand that you have, let's say, Slack channels for Robinhood, for SoFi, Coinbase, et cetera. But how, how are you aware of all the different problems, let's say, that SoFi might have in a given day? Just curious, uh, given that you're a founder, you have to fundraise, and you have to run a company.
2: Yeah, so I fundraised five times during COVID. So... Either via, via convertible notes or actual rounds of financing, and so it was very busy for me. But since we started this company, I've called myself customer success number one, right? It also comes from we had a chief of staff who was working for us. She, her name's Francesca Galucci. She was she was our chief of staff helping me out on customer success. At one point, we said, hey, we're going to go hire for a new uh, for somebody to come run customer success for us. She wanted to take the job, which is the ideal thing for a chief of staff to find it, find a role within the organization, or they can run a piece of the organization, but also give us good time to be able to see how we worked and operated. So we've, we've built out, maybe earlier than most organizations, a very robust customer success team, are reporting for our customers, how we handle their requests that come in. And part of it is, look, we have 50 customers plus, you know, but I have to be able to stay in every single one of these conversations. And I have to carve out time from other things because it's most important for me to be able to stay close to our customers. So as an example, in our culture doc, it says, I have meetings come on my calendar and when there's a conflict between it being a customer or, or a potential investor or current investor, my company knows which one I'm gonna pick every single time and it's the customer meeting. And I tell my investors they can wait. And I think that's an important thing that some founders you know, they want to spend their time with investors. They want to spend their time with that kind of stuff. And I tell everybody, I hate fundraising. I've had to do it a lot, but I hate fundraising. I like building a company and spending time with our clients. And so it's about what you prioritize. And at our size, I can still do it, and I'll keep doing it as long as I possibly can.
0: I love it. I will love for you to talk to more executives at big financial institutions. We need that humility. <laughs> so uh, with that, I'll open up uh, for Q&A with the audience. We actually already have a first question from the back channel, but... For the audience, if you like to come up on stage, you can. there is a hand icon on the bottom right. If you click on that, any one of us on stage can bring you up. And then at that point, you can ask a question or you can send your question to Manisha and me. There is an, an airplane icon on the bottom right. If you click on that, that's a back channel and you can send us a question. So Jordan and Lindsay, we already have first question. The name is Saeed Zaman and he says... What are some of the trends you have seen in the income verification space, given the massive digital push in the last 18 months, and any interesting fraud trends you can share? Saeed is, I think he's a fraud manager at one of the
2: financial institutions. Awesome. Lindsay, do you want to take this one first, and then I'll follow up?
3: Yeah certainly on the you know data side of things again the ability to unlock the data behind the paycheck such as gross earnings earnings net of taxes employment type status among other insights like that is one of the biggest trends that we're um, a believer in and also we're starting to see our customers ask for and actively seek like direct deposit was a clear pain point as a result of COVID, not being able to physically walk over to hr and, and go into a bank branch but that data has certainly kept them engaged and this is an opportunity for us to to add more value to that client relationship and then on the fraud side i'm sure jordan will take this and his first company was in in the cyberspace so i like to let him sort of lead on our our cyber front but in the scenario where you are trying to to if it was a hacker and they'd bought a bunch of credentials on the internet and they're trying to get into the same account one of our engineers actually identified this for one of our customers and we've been able to build out a product related to flagging those credentials and and whitelisting them so that that consumer that's potentially at risk is is not and that's something that came out of just seeing, the activity and, and having a customer-centric culture, even our engineers understand like customers come first and foremost. And it was a really a cool opportunity to just build that product out based on a, on a client need.
2: Yeah, agreed, Lindsay. So I, I think first off, to your point, the breadth of data is so interesting in income verification now because you're not just knowing okay, this person makes eighty-five thousand dollars a year and and uh, and they're currently employed, right? You're seeing is this person contributing to a 401k? Is this person, how long have they been employed? When was the last raise? When was the last job title change, right? All of those sorts of things are indicators of what they might, what their ability to repay, but also giving way more information to these algorithms or for for underwriting to be able to make better decisions. So I think that's a big shift. We'll we'll see a a tremendous amount of rich data provided. And the other, to, to Lindsay's point, from a fraud standpoint, we sit at this fascinating junction where we see these people coming into such direct deposit. If an account takeover has happened, we can see that, that those credentials are being used across multiple locations. We can toast those credentials. We can toast the ability to use those credentials. We can then also give that sort of information to, the payroll systems, so that they can alert that consumer, so that they can fix the problem, but also to the the, the banks themselves, so they can under and so they can go back in and review how did this person come in, how did they get an account opened with us, and can we stop that from happening in the future? That's one of many potential fraud fraud prevention vectors that we have to be able to do do within the service that we offer. Great,
0: thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Lindsay. And looks like we have two. Two people on the stage, Deidre, She is lovely. So get ready for amazing questions. Deidre, welcome on stage. Please introduce yourself and then ask your question.
4: I don't know how you're going to feel about this question. I'm in I'm in user research I'm at a big bank. I went over and and took a look at your your website and I noticed you were talking about, you know, about culture and I went over and I took a look at your staff. Your staff's very homogeneous. And my question for you is how are you ensuring that in your 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 customer centricity that you are making sure that you have a diverse set of clientele that you serve? This is a great question, Deirdre. So thank you for asking it.
2: We find ourselves situated in Utah, which is already a little bit homogeneous. However, if you look across our whole team, we have we have you know, at least five to 10 people from every kind of background on our team. And our whole team might not be up there. You might have 30 or 40. We now have 75. But from a customer standpoint, that's actually, you know, that's an easier question for me to answer because we try really hard on, on the hiring front. But Utah has some things that are lacking. There's so made, it, made it a little bit hard from a diversity standpoint. However, when you look at our customers, we actually have the largest black-owned neobanks as clients. We have people like Jimmy Chen uh, from Propel that are trying to address the needs of the most financially vulnerable people in society, and we've done things in those in those relationships with them to be able to build build because they're so core to our mission. We give them a lot of extra love to make sure that the relationship works best for them. And that we can service them, but if you look across the competitive landscape, we have more people that serve the underserved and underbanked community, including companies like Welcome Tech and Sace. Right? These are two companies that are that are helping serve immigrant communities. We we have done tons of things to allow them. We were the first company to have a an SDK integration written in Spanish, as an example. We're the first company to be able to launch a black-owned neobank, right? All these sorts of things we have tried desperately to be able to help the community with. Does that answer your question?
4: It does.
2: I like your answer very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the question. And And I'll be honest, like we... So, we hired our first african American hire on the customer success team this week, and we were all celebrating on our side. Our first female engineer just joined the engineering team three weeks ago. We were all celebrating right we really we're trying to do that internally as much as we possibly can so if there are any 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 women especially listening to this, our executive leadership team is fifty percent female, and we we love that the fact that that it is that way as an organization again for me it's about making sure we can bring in the best talent possible. You know, especially in Utah, I don't think we're going to get the best talent wanting to come work for four white dudes that have, you know, five children each or whatever it is that's the norm here in Utah. Here in Utah, So we're trying our best to create a culture where, where everybody feels like they want to come and work.
0: That was a great answer, Jordan. Thank you. Okay, so you wanted an engineering question. So Antoine, welcome on stage. Give us your introduction. I think you'll have some open banking question, if I have to guess.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Jordan, it's a pleasure meeting you today. My name is Anton. I actually lead the open banking technology within a large bank in the United States. So, uh, you know, I was intrigued and I was just uh, looking at your site here and it looks like, you know, you can do quite a lot with what you guys are building. My question today is the gig economy is growing in leap and bounds and You know, I I believe it's projected to go by 52% based on one of the papers published by MasterCard next year. You know, they are some of the most vulnerable groups, right? Like uh, the people who are participating in the gig economy are doing more than one job. And, uh, you know, they would need access to tools and technologies like this. But it seems like since you're already building a customer profile, what else can you offer those customers? For example, you know, easy ways to get loans or... You know, because you also look like uh, you're connecting to banks. What kind of relationships are you guys building with banks so you can kind of market those kinds of products to those groups?
2: Yeah, that is a great question. And it's a segment of the population that Lindsay and I have spoken a ton about. So, as we look at the gig economy, it's a huge portion of our direct deposit volume, of our verification of income volume. We have a couple of things that we could not share very publicly right now that we're working on to be able to try to compile more of a a score around these people that don't have full time jobs. But the nice thing is we can see history going back very far in a verified way that, you know, if you think, you know, a lot of these services like MX and, and Finicity and Plaid, they can see net income into a bank account. Right. But we get a better view of gross income and when somebody for example uses a gig economy provider and connects a gig economy provider in atomic at the end of the atomic experience we ask them do you do you work with another gig economy provider and we have a huge portion of people that are connecting multiple of these so we can get a very comprehensive view of their income over the last little while or or, or however long they've been working with that gig economy provider right and that gives us the ability to start crafting some things around what does credit look like for them? That's a long-term pie-in-the-sky sort of thing for us. But in the short term, how can we verify that they have the income that they say they do? And longer term, how can we start to create scoring around that to be able to help them be able to qualify for credit better, which is a terrible experience for most of them today. But clearly, they're making income. They just do it in a different way than has been done traditionally. yeah you you know
4: that's that's a great way of looking at it because you know when i think about you know these are the most vulnerable in our society and you know building a credit profile is very difficult for them and uh, you know i i really wish you guys good luck Uh, you know uh, that this is a noble cause Uh, you know if we can get to that ideal state you know you can really help uh, you know get some of their dreams realized
2: yeah agreed agreed yeah there's there's some things you should, you should connect with me on LinkedIn and we should touch base in three months and just do a quick 15 minute meeting or 30 minute meeting. Cause there's some things we're working on right now that I would be reticent to announce publicly, but I think we can do some really cool things there for these groups. Of people. Yep. And I agree with you. They're the people we want to serve. That's our mission. I tell our company like, Hey, we're going to help the rich too, but that's not why we exist. We exist to help the most vulnerable people in our society.
4: Yep. Awesome. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Lindsay, anything you'd add to that response?
3: It was perfect. I mean, I think just thinking about what, why it is the way it is today, it's so disconnected. It's, it's because payroll systems were, were built before the gig economy was as large as it is today. And the systems have not evolved or been built out specifically to cater to this economy. And again, we say this often where it's like gig work won't be work. It will just be considered work you won't you won't have that preface and the systems that need to evolve we can help enable that get 1099 workers paid faster but I'm particularly excited about the ability to create an income history and we're starting to create a credit profile because we fully agree with you access to credit is is needed and just limited today
4: thank you
0: thanks Antoine for the question and uh, Akshay welcome I think, Akshay, you're dialing in from Australia, right?
5: That's right. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Ambika, for giving me the opportunity to ask the question on your show. And Jordan and Lindsay, I just want to compliment you both on, on just an amazing 30 minutes that you've spoken about your product. Very fascinating. Uh, I have two questions. I'll ask one, and if there's time permitting, I'll ask the second one. Lindsay and Jordan, I mean, you'd spoken about funding, right? So uh, convertible at VC funding. How do you make decisions on your funding options? Like, what is your driving philosophy to making decisions around funding?
2: Yeah, for me, the driving philosophy has been which investors will provide us the greatest value. I can tell you, our seed round of financing, I took uh, a smaller valuation to be able to take money from the from the group that I like the most. We And then when it came to our Series A, we had several term sheets come in for our Series A. Our internal investors, one of them is responsible for 25% of our pipeline for the first year individually. And he came to me and he said, I'll match the valuation. I'd love to be able to lead your series A or co-lead your series A. And, and I said in a heartbeat, yes, we would love that to happen. So also the measure that I have for taking money from people is if we got stuck in an elevator for three hours, would I come out hating you? Would you come out hating me or would we want to hang out again the next week? Because we're in a very long journey together and, and Honestly, when you get into the investment world, most of these people are pretty sharp, pretty smart. I mean, I'm not gonna go head to t- or toe to toe with them and be able to outsmart them on that much. So it's more of a hey, do we get along and do we want to be on this ride together? Do I want to be with you? Or do you want to be with me? Not just do you want to get a huge return and great IRR for your fund?
5: Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think spot on. Thanks so much. I think culture and fit is is such an integral part of your organization, and I, I really admire that. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Actually, did you have another question
5: or do you I, want to wait for I, your I, turn? I, I'll wait for my turn. I, I do have a okay. question on product, so I'll, I'll wait for That's it. That's
0: very okay. polite of you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. So, Andrew, over to you, if you like to do your intro and ask your question.
2: I, I had two questions, too. Now I can only ask one. That's okay. I'm, I'm a um, uh, director of open finance at MX, but based in Canada. But my question today actually isn't is Canadian-based, which is out of character how much of this requires employer consent or employer buy-in and can you do this at scale or does like what is required to make this work does it does it mean you have to go to large employers and get them on side or does it mean you can simply do it by um, partnering with ceridian adp and the other payroll providers in north america yeah that's a great question we don't have formal partnerships or relationships with any payroll providers to date or employers i will tell you i would take the stance that very similar to mx or finicity or plaid that you know i view this as the consumer's data and the consumer has a right to their own data and to control where their paycheck is sent and all that sort of stuff how that boils how that boils down in the future i don't know the answer to but If you're really that curious, you can read our response to 1033, the request for comment on 1033 for Dodd-Frank. Lindsay was instrumental in crafting that. That represents a lot of our viewpoints on this topic. Today, we do all that we do on behalf of a consumer without these relationships in place. If you're wondering if it's scalable, look at our client base and how much volume those groups do, and I think you can get a sense that Yeah, we do millions of transactions a month, uh, and have been for some time. And I think it is very scalable, and we'll continue to grow beyond that. Every every month, we've been growing for a long time. So, you know, I I think yes, it's absolutely scalable. But it'll be interesting to see how the environment shakes out over time in regard to relationships with payroll providers or employers, where this is clearly the consumer's data, um, and they need to have access to it to be able to for their own financial reasons. And, and again, Lindsay, you crafted, you know, you did most of that work on the on the response to 1033. Do you have any other thoughts there? Right.
3: And our, our wonderful attorneys as well, um, who had That's been right. a part of uh, Dodd Frank. I would just say, just from the high level, when you think about the 1033, it basically gives the CFPB permission to define what is financial data. And it was implemented, you know, a decade ago, and now we're finally entering into the rulemaking process as part of our comment we we urged the CFPB to consider payroll data as financial data now the executive order that came out earlier this summer and I've written extensively about it and I don't want to bore the audience to death but it identified banking data and the ability for consumers to move their banking data as they saw fit and that didn't include payroll data so right now the exclusion of that could mean that if we had some form of open banking it's still going to be a Incredibly clunky for consumers to access what we know to and believe to be their own data, but it, payroll is the wild west. It's not controlled by you know the the CFPB, the SEC. It's it's state by state and it runs by labor laws. And employers have a lot of power over access to data. And it's getting better. And COVID has accelerated self service portals. But consumer, like we want to create a, a seamless consumer experience, and we can't do that universally because every payroll system and every employer integration with those systems is is unique and they're not alike. It's, we always couch things and caveat things just truly because you have to see it and you have to do these reps. But again, with the scale that we've been able to see with over 1.5 million consumers entering an atomic flow roughly on a monthly basis, we get better. And so we, we're optimistic here, but we know that MX is certainly
0: in the trenches with us on the, on the banking data side. Okay, thank you, Andrew. So we'll come back to you for a second question. So over to you, Chi, welcome. So, Jordan, I also met Chi. She's amazing, just like yourself. I also met her at Money 2020. So I'm curious to know her introduction, which she will share today. So welcome, Chi, on the on the stage today.
6: Thanks, Ambika. So that's why I was invited to join the stage. <laughs> I was Yes. Sure. <laughs> yes. Do you but, have a question okay. for us? Well, so I don't. I have a confession. I don't. I actually just jumped on after a call just to support you. I haven't been on the on this app in months, so I specifically jumped on. <laughs> All <laughs> good, no you, worries. Because I know that if you're involved, it's it's going to be a great chat. But yeah, I'm just listening in for now. I'm happy to introduce myself if that's helpful. But I did want to maybe I can do that after. If anyone has any questions for the speakers, I'm happy to table that and then introduce myself after. If that's helpful,
0: you should introduce yourself and then we'll go back to the other two questions that are that
6: are available. Okay, well, hello everyone. my name is Chi and I currently I'm originally from Nigeria and my background is in tech entrepreneurship and venture capital. I spent a lot of time building the tech um, entrepreneurship ecosystem in South Africa and across Africa. I'm an active angel investor in Fintech. I've invested in two uh, unicorn Fintech companies and I'm currently in the process of launching a VC equity crowdfunding slash SPV platform that will focus on investing in Africa and members of the African diaspora. But the idea is to really sort of like prove the use case that there's a lot of money, right? And a lot of interest in investing amongst communities of people that are from a specific geo. And I think it could be pretty powerful to enable founders to essentially find their audience, right? Be able to raise capital from their communities, from professionals that are in their industry, such as like founders being able to invest specifically from physicians, health tech founders being able to 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 raise specifically from physicians, so that they don't experience a lot of the friction that they currently experience when trying to raise from VCs that may or may not understand them, their market, who they are, who they're building for, what they're building. And so that's the idea. And I currently work in tech, I work at YouTube, but, yeah, my passion, my heart is in VC and fintech. Great. And thank you, thank you, for, you for, for inviting us. me, Ambika. Of
0: course. So, Akshay, let's go back to you for your second question for Jordan and Lindsay.
5: Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Ambika. I think this is a question probably for Lindsay because you're you're managing the, the the market. So question on product and what is your process of identifying the customer problem? <laughs>
3: Jordan is, of course, well-equipped to take care of all of these answers, too. Or so. Jordan. Uh, or yeah,
4: Jordan yeah. yeah,
3: But again, so your question, if I could repeat it back to you, is how do we identify populations of consumers to sort of work with and, and build our product
5: roadmap for? Yep, that's right
3: it sort of just comes back just at a high level to our mission which is empowering the most vulnerable members of society when we think about the use cases mortgage is an opportunity that, that Jordan spoke to but when we think about how do we help vulnerable members of society they're not even in that qualification pool today they're trying to access you know a zero cost bank account because they're paying $45 to $35 a month on an overdraft fee if, if something if paid it didn't align with bill pay so we've actually have done this a couple of times where we've just whiteboarded the opportunities and, and large populations where there are unaddressed financial concerns and no one focusing on them. So when we think about the immigrant population and the ability to, to help the Hispanic population, there's 62 million consumers in, in America, according to the last census that identifies Hispanic. They might not have access if they're coming to this country and they don't have a social security number. Our partner Welcome Tech came to us. They had a base of three million signed up for the account, nine million community members. That to us was, you know, full stop. It aligned with everything that we wanted to help enable for them, and that is where we think about building some of those products and services. But it's for the impact. You know, where can we have the largest impact? Jordan, would you like to add on to that?
2: I would just. The only thing I would add is, as we look at next opportunities, proximity to your customers is everything. I mean, we just had a new idea the other day and I turned to Francesca head a customer success and I just said, pitch that in every customer success meeting in the next month and see what the feedback is. And some people will give you this, oh, that's great. Sounds amazing. you say, okay, cool. And throw a contract in front of them and everybody gets cold feet. And in order to be able to see what that next opportunity is, you need to be able to throw a contract in front of people and they start moving it through legal. And so you know, for for us and identifying the next opportunities to address, that's a big part of it is we need to, we need to gauge interest through our customer base and friends in the industry. And then we need to gauge interest by contract and how how many people want to move forward with that process. I will also say that in July, we met as a board and I did a write-up on five potential products we could go and do. And I asked our board, to be able to evaluate them with us and make a decision on one or two products that we would go and chase in the upcoming six months with the Series A money we had just raised. And it was interesting because there was a couple of opportunities that maybe a little bit smaller and didn't have quite the TAM of some of the other opportunities we were looking at. But because they were so mission-aligned, we felt like we should go and chase those. And as we've had other conversations with potential investors. We've been able to look them in the eye and say, if you want to invest in this company, you're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that sometimes we chase smaller tans because of the impact that we'll be able to have on society. We want to build a great business too, but we want to have impact. And so that's the way we view it.
5: Wonderful. Thank, thanks for that.
0: If I can add on to that, Lindsay, I'm curious from a marketing perspective, what is nuanced about marketing an API product solution? And uh, as you and I, we were in discussions earlier. You know, you choose to market, for example, for social media. uh, You guys only have presence on LinkedIn, and then there's GitHub. So I'm just curious to know what is the process of marketing an API.
3: Well, that that is a function of me be, not being able to scale myself and needing to hire. So uh, after this, like that is one hundred percent my focus and scaling out the team. I do love Twitter, but it is uh, LinkedIn is our strongest channel. It's where Jordan and I have some of the largest networks in fintech. And when we first met, we that was one of the things that stood out to me is we had like 150 mutual connections and I had no idea who he was. So I was like, I must meet him because he's very, you know, in the business and I haven't heard of him yet. So for us, it's, it's leveraging the organic networks that we have and our our customers, first and foremost, have been an incredible source of not only just like back channeling and, and feedback and the ability to help other, you know, neobanks get comfortable with picking atomic and say, if it was a competitive opportunity. So leveraging, our customers and partners with bigger distribution and channels and then just not trying to jam payroll connectivity down people's throat like my job is not to sell people it's to help educate the market what are the use cases what is payroll connectivity enabling broadly why should it exist in the world why now and how are we doing that with customers like what are actual what's the value proposition and that that role and that function will change over time as it becomes as we believe synonymous and and a APIs in this space broadly will become ubiquitous for payroll connectivity, and accessing this data should be free and easy. I think the role will evolve then to say, like, how do we actually put our money where our mouth is? Like, what is the impact that we have had on society? Right now, it's just a numbers game because we've only been in the market for about a year. But you know, I try to say, like, if we've helped this many consumers switch to an Neobank, bank that saved you know roughly a hundred million dollars in overdraft fees and just you know a couple months of operations. That's a that's a great dent, but there's $4 billion in the in overdraft fees that were collected in 2020 for just the largest bulge bracket banks alone. Like, that's a dent. We need we can do more. And that's where I'm really going to be spending um, our marketing efforts going forward. You're and me- if anyone's looking, yeah. that would be great. Please join the team. Please, I'm hiring. <laughs> we would love to have you. Across the board, we'll have 22 open roles.
0: Wow. And you're going to send us all the bags, right? The, the swag bags. It was
3: a Series A, but um, yes, we'll send some bags if anybody wants to reach out directly. <laughs> Um, but I have tons of pins and stickers and all that good stuff, and, and that is some of the marketing, right? Just creating swag that people want to use and are excited about. Our, our brand is beautiful. A culture person, but you know the brand and the integrity of the brand is extremely important to me, and we we are very proud of it. So we are happy to have people wear our swag. If you want shirts, that's way easier. I've got tons of those, but would love to
0: you know see Atomic in the market in a real way. Lovely. So the last question we have is from the back channel and it's from James. And Jordan, is directed to you. And James is saying you're the second, so Atomic is the second startup company we have featured from Salt Lake City. And he says that he would like to know, he says there's a thriving startup scene in Salt Lake. Talk to us about the startup ecosystem in Salt Lake. What are, I guess, what are some of the similarities from the Bay Area?
2: Awesome. So yeah, the startup scene in the, in Salt Lake is so fast. Ten years ago, I moved away from Salt Lake because it lacked a really strong startup ecosystem. And I actually had the opportunity to meet with several founders of some of the companies that started in that time frame recently, and the opportunity to thank them for creating an environment in which tech is now thriving here in Salt Lake. Interestingly, fintech is thriving especially well. You know, you had Finicity with their $880 million acquisition, I think it was. You have MX, an awesome c- company here locally. You have Avid Exchange, who I think is ipo shortly or shortly will. They're, they aren't headquartered here, but have a huge presence here. You have – we continue to see many of the top, you know, uh, FinTech partner banks are, are headquartered in Utah. Squares, head, you know, banking services are headquartered in Utah. They got the, the uh, ILC, the – You've been in loan charter you know there's so many things that make utah an amazing place for fintech specifically but also what makes it a great scene for work is actually what we get to do right after work or right before work depending on the day and you've got ski slopes 25 minutes away from your home. You've got uh, fly fishing 25 minutes from your home. Uh, you've got fun cycling stuff, 20, you know, five minutes from your home. There's just all these amazing hikes. And I think the combination of the amazing, like, you know, be, ability to get out in nature very quickly and, and enjoy those things on top of uh, a great community of founders and an entrepreneurial spirit here in Utah are what create, create a great environment for, for entrepreneurship in Utah.
0: Yeah, there's Goldman yeah. Sachs. You forgot the big dog in the town. And then, of course, SoFi.
2: <laughs> yep, SoFi, Goldman Sachs. Great call. Yep, tons of them.
0: Lindsay, were you going to add
3: something? I love being in Salt Lake, which is where I am now. I live in New York normally, but it's uh, wonderful to be out here. And the fresh air, just getting to see the team. And I'm very excited about the vibrant. And just having you know watched the fintech funding evolve from my prior role at CB Insights, like, there are real fintech hubs being built outside of silicon valley and new york and now that work is fully distributed and accepted working from home like we're excited to see more talent spread out throughout the country because again like boots on the ground helping consumers like these consumers don't live in in manhattan they are they're living in in, in middle america having access to to meet them and, and see consumers and build out those use cases i'm i'm very very excited about this next chapter in fintech and being a part of enabling it with atomic
0: well, we will thank you so much, Jordan and Lindsay, for joining us today. It was great learning about Atomic. I think, I mean, it's just unbelievable that you've only been around for less than two years. You're only 75-employee company, and you've done so much. So kudos to you for your productivity. And uh, Manisha, I'll hand it over to you to make any last comments.
1: I just wanted to thank both of you for joining us this evening. I had a fantastic conversation and um, shared so much insight and a lot about doing good, too. So pay it forward, everyone. Uh, thanks. Thank, thank you. you
2: for having us. It's a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Thank you. And thank you to everyone in the audience and for those coming up on stage and asking questions. That's it for today. We'll be back next week. Next Wednesday, November 10th, we'll be joined by the founder and CEO of Skyflow for a conversation around privacy as an API. So with that, I'll wish you all good night for tonight.